On your mark. Get set. Go! You are listening to Ken LaVica Live. Presented by FAU MBA and Sport Management Program. Turn it up! Turn it up! From the Anajar and Levine Studios in downtown West Palm Beach, it's Ken LaVica Live on ESPN 1063. We are now four days away from the Super... Wait, can't say that. The big game. The big game. The biggest game. The, the championship game, whatever we're allowed to call it. It's it's time to start talking about what we look forward to most. Not the Super... Nope. That that game. <laughs> that game for the championship. Wednesday. It's Ken Levick Alive on ESPN 106.3. Because it's Wednesday, that means that Jeanette Javier is hanging out until 2 o'clock in the Anna John Levine Accident Attorney Studios. Downtown West Palm Beach, Phillips Point Towers, right off of the Intracoastal. Stone Labanowitz, Friday Night Lights, running things uh, until 2 o'clock. And here we are, Jeanette. You, I still cannot believe that, like, three weeks ago, you thought that you might be attending the Super Bowl. Not only that... Not only yes. that, money bags, McGee, you thought that you might be seeing Tom Brady in the yes. Super Bowl. And thank God at the 11th hour, you took stone in my advice and decided to go to the divisional round yes. game against the now NFC champions. Because I can't even imagine what how insufferable you'd be if you missed out on Brady because you were holding out for a $50,000 ticket in L.A. Uh, first of all, it's 8000 ticket in L.A. For the nosebleeds. Oh, for the nose. Sorry. Excuse me. That was more your budget. Okay. I understand. And I probably would have been crying. Yeah, you would have been upset. If I didn't see any opportunity. There's no Tom Brady. There's no Buccaneers. And for the first time, I listened to you Mm -hmm. and it paid off. I saw Tom Brady in his last game. Let that be a lesson. Let that be a lesson to all of you. Just listen to me, okay? Uh, now, forget the fact that Brady's already saying things like, oh, you can never say never when it comes to retirement. I firmly believe he's going to stay retired, but whatever. You did your part. You are a happy Brady person, and mm-hmm. life goes on. But now, mm-hmm. it's Super Bowl time. and it's The big game? The, the, no. Well, yeah, the big game, the championship, the, the, the football trophy game. Yeah, yes, whatever that we're one, allowed that to call one. it. Mm-mm, sorry, sorry, sorry. I can't say Super Bowl championship game of football is coming up, okay? Uh, And uh, I always get excited because now we're just like four days away. And I'm weird because for me, rarely, rarely do I have a rooting interest in this game. Being raised a Bears fan and now a Dolphins supporter, I don't have any rooting interest in this game really ever I don't in my either. life. It's happened once really in my lifetime where I had full human consciousness of what was actually happening. So for me, it's about the 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 surrounding uh, aspects mm-hmm. of the Super Bowl. It's about what it, it's at the, at the periphery. Uh, it is the halftime acts. Yes. It's the national anthem singers. Mm-hmm. But it's also how the game looks. Like I truly love just how... The Super Bowl looks on TV. It's a big deal in the different end zones. The aesthetics. The aesthetics of the whole thing. Exactly. Is that weird, first of all? Is that super weird that I care about the aesthetics of the Super Bowl? Yes, especially you. You're uh, a man with a two-hour <laughs> sports show on ESPN West yeah. Palm in a top 40 market. Yeah, football. Yeah. Not so much. Give me that. Is it pretty? 
Is it pretty? Are their jerseys looking nice? Is the Look Super Bowl the end pretty? Zones. It's the Super Bowl pretty. 888-760-3776. No, but it's like something off of Bravo. Like, I do feel like this is a Bravo discussion. Yes. Like, if she was still alive, Joan Rivers would be co-hosting with me. and We'd be walking a red carpet and talking about Super Bowl outfits. But... Oh, the big game. The, the big game. The, ah, all right. Fine. If I slip, I'm just, I'm just gonna go with it. If I get fined over and over again, I don't even care. What if we call it the superb owl? <laughs> Super- uh, you as the voice of the FAU owl. <laughs> or yeah, that's true. Or we could go superb dish, bowl, dish, super, superb, superb dish. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. I don't care. Whatever. Uh, it's Super Bowl. Find me. I don't care. What whatever CBS or whatever's broadcast NBC. Just find me. I don't care. But uh, we have a helmet matchup in this game mm-hmm. that is unmatched, I think, compared to any other Super Bowl that's ever been played. You have two teams whose helmets are representative of an animal, the animal that is in their name. It's not like every other NFL helmet where, you know, it's the helmet and then on the side is the logo. Mm-hmm. You have the Rams, the twisty little horns yes. on both sides. You have the Bengals, the orange helmet with the black stripes Mm -hmm. down each side. This is, I think, without equal, the greatest helmet Super Bowl matchup in the history of this game. I am pumped for that. Like, that alone... That make forget Burrow and Stafford for a second, and that's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, forget Jamar Chase and Jalen Ramsey for a second, that's going to be fun. Aesthetically, Jeanette, this is going to look beautiful in LA. Two things. Yeah. One, I actually agree with you. The yeah. fact that they both have animals represented on their helmets, gorgeous, pure, like purely indicative of the teams that they are. Yeah. And the great color scheme, beautiful. Yeah. Number two. You've said a lot of dorky, nerdy things on this show. <laughs> this Me listening. This is definitely one uh, of the dorkiest slash nerdiest takes I've probably yeah. ever heard you have. I mean, I'm not overly proud of it, okay? But it's been on my Stop. mind for Stop. You quite are some very time. proud of it. it. You are animated while you're uh, discussing it. Everybody, he's flinging his arms like a Latina speaking, or, you know, like what I typically do. He's very animated. Don't let him fool you. It's just been on my mind for quite some time that this is going to look awesome. And this is one of the things I'm looking forward to most about this Super Bowl is just how cool the helmets are going to look against one another. What are you looking forward to most with this Super Bowl? This Super Bowl, what are you looking forward to most? Tweet at us at KLV1063 on Twitter. What are you looking forward to most with this Super Bowl? And we can talk about it now. Superb Owl, whatever you said. Uh, Because we're four days (laughs) away from the Super Bowl. Like, we're here. We, we're on the doorstep. Now, I think that there's a missed opportunity here, though, okay. because a, a game is always better, and I think this goes for the Rose Bowl as well. I always feel like the Rose Bowl is striking visually on television as well. Um, you need two teams that have contrasting colors. Like, mm-hmm. last year was a little bit meh from an aesthetic standpoint because the Bucks and the Chiefs both use red yes. as a primary base color. Same thing with the year before here in South Florida where you had the Chiefs and you had the 49ers. Base color, red. But this orange and blue are the base colors for mm-hmm. these teams. It's weird. It's different. It's going to pop. But here's the problem, Jeanette. Now, hear me out. The Rams are wearing white. They're the road team, technically, at their home stadium because it alternates <laughs> NFC, AFC, yeah, NFC, AFC. Yeah, 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 yeah. So last year, Tampa got to be the home team in mm-hmm. the NFC stadium. It's another NFC stadium, 
yet the NFC team has to be the road team this time around. So the Rams, instead of wearing blue, though, they've decided to go white because they're the road team, when I'm sure they could have just told the NFL, hey, we're going blue, and the Bengals have their orange alternate uniforms, but instead they're wearing their black uniforms. Why? Why can't anybody see what I'm seeing? Contrasting, popping colors are the way to go in sports. Wear orange, wear blue, everyone's happy. I think you would be the happiest. It would be amazing. Are, are you, you see, I'm more pumped about the halftime show more than anything. You're saying a, a so I said for me, yeah, the colors. For me, colors. colors. I'm a child. Pretty. The, co- pretty. the pretty colors is what I'm looking forward to most, but it's not quite there yet because it it could be more contrasting. So yes, I'm weird. Now the halftime show for you is what you're looking. What for me, the halftime mm. show is always mm. like 15 minutes of. Okay, fine. Half the time they're lip syncing. Everybody on social media always like, they suck, they suck, that was terrible. <laughs> like they don't want to appreciate it at all. Why are you looking forward to this halftime show? Snoop Dogg. Okay. Dr. Dre. Okay. Mary J. Blige. Okay. Kendrick Lamar. All right. And Eminem, just in case you want to top it all off. So, yes. There's five reasons for you right there. But it's all so packed in to such a short amount of time. So can you imagine what they're going to do in 15 minutes? So what are you expecting? It's going to be pure energy. I already started stretching for all the dancing that I'm going to do during the halftime show as probably half this world. I, I think that is stretching. I think what drives me the most crazy, though, is that everybody wants to be a critic. And so as soon as a halftime show starts, like it happened with The weekend last year, it happened with... Oh, that wasn't a good Shalo halftime show. Shalo and Shakira. First of all, props for doing the Shakira. Yeah, because yeah, I'm well, Cuban, right? Yeah, you're so Cuban. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, but... The J-Lo and Shakira one was a great. That was half- awesome. I it agree. Was great. It was great. Even you though can't- J-Lo can't sing and she lip synced the entire thing. Like, but she still did her thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's, she's, she's just the most gorgeous 55-year-old or whatever she is. Praise be. The, <laughs> Amen. <laughs> the, the weekend Super Bowl, you can't compare. You didn't like that? The, no, the, it was weird. That one was weird. It was a little off. What were you doing? I just saw a bunch of lights and people running around. I mean, it turned into great, great uh, gifs. And, and memes, like, that was good. So do you judge a Super Bowl halftime performance by the, the <laughs> aftermath? That point. It's got to get to that point. How like, ridiculous. How culturally relevant can you become based on GIFs after uh, you perform I in the Super Bowl? I thought it was GIFs, by the way. I think it's GIFs. I, th- I thought it was GIFs. Oh, uh, we are going to have this conversation, aren't we? GIFs is a peanut G- butter brand. I understand, but I also think it's how you pronounce the G version of GIFs. How is the peanut butter spran- brand uh, spelled? J-I-F. Exactly. Yeah. But G-I-F. how is your first name spelled? G-I-N-E-T-T-E, Jeanette, not Gannett. Oh, See, I dang win. Dang it, dang it. You See, See how like harders you? Don't, don't fight me on this, Jeanette. It's literally your name that is the counterpoint to your argument oh. about chips. Oh, I can't believe that just happened. That was glorious, and I feel, <laughs> I feel full now. Uh, but so in 15 minutes, you think that all of those names in the halftime show are going to do something that fulfills you to a point where you're like, man, that made this entire day worth it. That will it fulfill me? No. But will it leave me wanting more? Absolutely. Give me more. I have no idea how they're going to fit all of those five megastars into a 15-minute bit. But do I think it's going to be some of the best 15 minutes of my life? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> wow. That is some unbelievable hyperbole. What are you looking forward to most with this Super Bowl? Because fine, we can break down, and we will for the next three days, like, uh, the, the, the matchups to, to watch and the quarterback showdown and uh, Zach Taylor versus Sean McVay. But 
It's all of the surrounding with the Super Bowl that I find fascinating. It's the pregame shows. It is the colors. Again, like that means something. When you're watching a massive sporting event, and I have this with every championship round, it just looks different. It feels different. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I don't know if you're actually truly a full-fledged sports fan because there's a gravity that comes with seeing. Like, all the fields are in pristine condition. Mm -hmm. Everything is painted beautifully, whether you're talking about the World Series or the NBA Finals uh, with the Larry O'Brien trophy Mm -hmm. on the floor Mm -hmm. or the Super Bowl with the different colored end zones. I just feel like you need to take advantage of that opportunity from an aesthetic, though. And that's why I love the Rose Bowl because say when, like, Oregon is in it with the green and yellow, right? And Oregon is playing, I don't know, uh, Ohio State, just for the sake of the Big Ten team that always goes to the Rose Bowl. And they have red, they have crimson and, and silver. Like, that pops because it's so different and it's cool. And that's what I wish they would go with here. The helmets are awesome. They're beautiful. But make the complete contrast with the uniforms and with the end zones. That's the Super Bowl. Well, if we're going to get into the details of, of the aesthetics, the black jerseys make those helmets pop. Though. I know. They really bring out the orange the in the helmet. Orange jerseys pop like fully. Like that's the thing. I, I just, let, let's focus on the helmets for a second. You're right. That, and and like we've been discussing, we're in agreement. The helmets are awesome. Yes. Both helmets are awesome. I'm trying to see any other Super Bowl matchup that would even rival it. You know what was a beautiful, random color aesthetic was when the Rams played the Titans because mm. one end zone was was uh, yellow and blue. And the other end zone was baby blue and uh, and dark blue, the Titans colors. That was cool. Random. In what was one of the more random Super Bowls of all time. I loved that one. But the helmets don't even compare. I, I don't think that there is an equal. I truly don't. I think that the Rams and the Bengals, this is the greatest helmet Super Bowl of all time. I don't think it's a question. It's the clash of the animals. It is. It's the clash of the animals. Absolutely. And you could argue that it's one that makes sense. Like if the Dolphins were in the game, the Dolphins and a Ram would never be in the same place. But a Bengal Tiger and a Ram, they could coexist in the same area. You know, I'm going to ask my mommy... Because that's how she picks her winners. Uh-huh. Animals, uh, mascots versus mascots. Really? She's one, of the, she's one of those? And she typically does way better than me. Because <laughs> she's just like, oh, this animal. So who would you, who would win? A ram or a bangle? A bangle. I mean, I, rams, I'm pretty sure, are plant eaters. I think they're... Um, but the horns, they could do some damage. Yeah, but I think bangle tigers have sharp teeth. And muscle class. Yeah, I think that I think there would be death that would be wrought upon the ram. <laughs> I'm trying to give the ram a benefit. Yeah, you're trying of the to. Dire. I know you're trying to give him a benefit of the doubt, but I don't think it's going to happen. Now, you could argue that the Broncos and the Panthers they could be in the same place at one time. A horse and a panther. Advantage, obviously, panther because again, horses aren't um, carnivores, right? Yeah. No, because what if there's more than one horse? Horses are rarely by themselves. They're kicking a panther to death. They just stomp a panther to death. (laughs) I'm just, if you're talking animal matchups, this one makes a whole lot of sense, though. We're talking about two land animals, two mammals. That, in and of itself, makes this even better as a Super Bowl. These are the stupid things I think about on a regular basis. It's not just X's and O's, people. It's can this actually happen in real life? <laughs> can can, can we this, see a ram versus a right. bangle? Can these things happen? And colors. 
I like colors, and I can't wait to see how they pop against one another in this Super Bowl. Me, I can't wait to see the colors, even though they 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 haven't fully gone all the way. I love the helmet matchup. I love the the blue and yellow Rams against the black and orange Bengals. Uh, Jeanette, a little more normal, a little more sane. She's looking forward to the halftime show. What are you looking forward to most now that we're four days out from the superb dish, the superb owl, <laughs> not the Super Bowl, but the big game. Tweeted us at KLV1063. That's at KLV1063. What are you looking forward to most uh, with the big game? Ken Levick Alive presented by the FAU MBA Sport Management Program, fau.edu slash MBA Sport. And it's always big time with the FAU MBA Sport Management Program. 22 years of doing it. Dr. Jim Reardon, the man in charge. This is your path to the sports industry. You want in? You want to get a foot in the door? You want an opportunity? Well, this is how you do it. The FAU MBA Sport Management Program. Check them out online, fau.edu slash MBA Sport. Whether it's the pros, whether it's big-time athletics, a variety of jobs, many jobs. A cornucopia, in fact, in the sports industry. It's not just one path. There's many. This helps guide the way. The FAU MBA Sport Management Program, fau.edu slash MBA Sport. What are you looking forward to most with this Super Bowl in particular? Me? Yeah, the matchups are fine. The colors, even better. She's Jeanette Javier. I'm Ken Levick. I'm live on ESPN 106.3. We may not have any baseball, but don't worry. Jeanette Javier is watching baseball sports movies and reviewing them for you. I'm not sure how that makes up for uh, the baseball labor stoppage, but I'm doing the best I can, okay? Ken Levick alive here on ESPN 106.3, and we are presented by the FAU MBA Sport Management Program. Visit fau.edu slash MBA sport. All right, so Jeanette Javier here every single Wednesday. She, uh, she before... Uh, really, I don't know, a month ago, didn't really watch any sports movies whatsoever. What were your, your movies of choice prior to you taking on this assignment, uh, the Jeanette Sports Movie Spectacular? Oh, what sort of movies did you watch on a regular basis? The Longest Yard, the Adam Sandler version. Okay. I loved that one. You loved that one. Air Bud. <laughs> Air Bud. Is that even a sports movie? I know it what? features basketball, no. but it's a dog playing basketball. What? What is that? It's a dog playing a sport. I don't know. Is Air Bud a sports movie? 888-760-3776. Is Air Bud a sports movie? But what about what about just in your, your downtime? Forget sports movies. What is the genre you are most drawn to from a cinematic perspective? Probably action. Oh, really? I love Terminator's my favorite movie, Terminator 2. Okay. Okay. So wow. All right. So action. I thought rom-coms for sure. No. Do I look like a rom-com kind of person? I don't know. You're a woman. No. Not all women like romantic (laughs) comedies. I'm just saying. You're you're a woman. I'm sorry. I just, that's very sexist of me. Yeah. Coming from the man who's like, I like the colors and the big game. Well, what's funny is that most of the sports movies that exist are actually sort of rom-coms in a way. They certainly have romance in almost all of them, and the movie that Jeanette reviewed for this week is certainly no exception. Let us begin Jeanette Javier's Sports Movie Spectacular. And this week, we go back all the way to the year 1988. Kevin Costner, Susan Sarandon, Tim Robbins, the baseball hit Bull. Durham. And as always, because she's a proud Dominican, Jeanette will be rating this movie 
between one and five plantains, one being the most, five being the, hey, that was good. Yes. Let's begin. Yes. So first thing I noticed, Kevin Costner from Dances with Wolves and Susan Sarandon from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I was like, great start. Both phenomenal movies. I recognize these characters. So, so... Susan Sarandon from Rocky Horror Picture Show. And by the way, there is no chance in hell that Stone Lebanowitz, Friday Night Lights, has seen Rocky Horror Picture Show. None. None. Have Put you it ever, on the list. Yeah. Put it on the list. Have you ever heard of Rocky Horror Picture Show? Nah, yeah. Nope. Uh, that was intuition. That was correct on my part. Not a shock. So, Susan Sarandon, though, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Oh, I recognize I recognize her from Rocky Horror Picture Show. That was one of her breakout roles. Mm-hmm. God, is she gorgeous in that movie. She's always gorgeous. Stunning, but in that movie, always. Oh, God. All right. But then, you referencing Dances with Wolves for yes. Kevin Costner. Didn't he win an Oscar for that movie? I'm sure he did. But I who, who recognizes Kevin Costner for Dances with Wolves when you have Field of Dreams oh. out there? I haven't seen Field of Dreams since I was like 12. What about Waterworld? Never, I, I never heard of it. He drinks his own pee in Waterworld, by the way. Yeah, that sounds like a movie I definitely <laughs> want to watch. All right, so anyways, you watch Bull Durham, and uh, let's let's get to your your thoughts on this beloved film. So Annie, who's Susan Sarandon. She gets what, around. What a character. Uh-huh, yeah. That opening monologue of hers. I was snapping my fingers. I was like, yes, girl. Yes. The only church that truly feeds the soul day in and day out is the church of football. And also, it kind of made me sad because it's crazy how baseball has gone down in popularity. Because mm-hmm. I feel like not a lot of people say that. It's days. a romantic. Did you say football, by the way? I said I'm a baseball. Okay. Do you have football on the mind? Because you said football. Oh. The oops. Church of Baseball is what you. Sorry. Yes. You the butchered. Church of- you butchered one of your most <laughs> beloved lines from the movie, and you wrote it down. You literally <laughs> read it incorrectly. It. <laughs> you have baseball on the page, and you said football. Uh, but yes. It, it, Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, all of these games that Kevin, or, or movies that Kevin Costner is in. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Dances with Wolves, very famous baseball scene in that. Uh, <laughs> but it, you're right, baseball is a romantic game. This sort of captures the essence of it. Yes. Um, and going back to Annie, uh-huh. she gives this whole spiel how women do not get lured by men. Mm-mm. Because she's strong and independent, correct? And she does what she wants. Yeah. Even so, she's so strong. That she brought two guys into her place, Kevin Costner and Nuke, the other Tim Robbins, the, the, the pitcher, the dummy pitcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was like he had senses in his head or something like that. Yeah. That was what was said about him. Yeah, but he's and the hotshot like, prospect. She literally was like, "Okay, y'all two negotiate. Who am I sleeping with for the whole season?" See how badass is that? That is just. Yeah. I'm not gonna like goals. If you're if you're that type of girl, that's how you do it. That's how you run your game. See, think, I was so impressed by that. I'm not judging. I mean, if Susan Sarandon is like, hey, you two negotiate who's going to have me for the rest of the year, I'm in on that as well. But you've got Tim Robbins, the hot shot uh, prospect who's surely going to the majors at some point, the young guy. And then you have Kevin Costner, the old grizzled, looking for his chance, his last shot to go to the league. But he knows things. He's wise to the world, right? Yeah, but he has a couple moments where... He's got rough edges, though, right? It's kind of sexy. Yeah. I'll take the older man with a couple of rough edges as well. You know, I'm... Annie had great decisions to make. Since (laughs) she did. It's not like she's losing any... No. Now, we we can agree both, though, that Kevin Costner in real life... Forget in a movie. Kevin Costner in real life is a much better catch 
than Tim Robbins, right? Yes, absolutely. Like at first glance, you're like, yeah, Kevin Costner, that's the guy. He's the winner. Yeah, yeah. That's why there, there's an, an element of, of unrealistic to that because mm-hmm. everybody's taking Kevin Costner over Tim Robbins. All right, next. So there were a bunch of like funny one-liners and that's where I saw the comedy. My favorite one-liner was from this scene right over here. You lollygag the ball around the empty. You lollygag your way down the first. You lollygag in and out of the dugout. Do you know what that makes you? Larry, lollygag. Lollygaggers. <laughs> when the scene was, they were playing really bad for mm-hmm. a couple games and they were essentially tanking. Um, and then that's when their coach came in and called them all a bunch of lollygaggers. Yep. I thought that was hilarious. When was the last time you heard the word lollygaggers? It's been a while. In 1988, I think it was probably used pretty liberally. And, and I'm assuming it was because of Bull Dern. By the way, I've wanted to call this movie Bull, uh, Bull Dern Ham the whole time just because of the way it's spelled. It's spelled with ham, uh-huh. actually. Well, that's the name of the uh, the city in North Carolina, Bull Durham. I, Durham, Durham, I, North Carolina. Well, why is the word ham in there? Well, it's a silent vowel. So I don't know. Why do you have an extra T in your name? I don't know. That's just the way my mommy made it. I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's just the way they, they, <laughs> they spell the name of the town. I don't know. Also, uh, another good quote was, announce my presence with authority. <laughs> that got a couple snaps in there. I was like, all right, let's go. Um, another good one was when it was Nuke and the Kevin Costner character, Chase. They were going back and forth. Um, Chase told Nuke to throw a fastball. Nuke mm-hmm. said, uh-uh, mm-hmm. whatever. Chase told the batter. The batter got a home run. Yeah, lesson learned. Yes. And then Chase's line was, man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. Anything that travels that far should have a stewardess on it. Oh, you think? man. I was like, well. Kevin Costner, 1988 comedy. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> Lols. Uh-huh. And don't, <laughs> don't think it can hurt the ball club. That's what Chase said constantly to Nuke, the dumbhead pitcher. Uh-huh. And I kind of made me wonder, like, imagine if that was the advice you gave me before every show. Yeah. Don't think it can only hurt the show. Uh-huh. And yeah. I was like, that's actually pretty swell. Maybe that's the <laughs> method maybe, that we can go with. Maybe we should we should take a page from the Bull Durham book and go that route. And one more quote that uh-huh. I fell, I nearly fell off of my chair watching when Annie, the queen, Yeah. You love Annie. Oh, my God, her character. I feel like you kind of relate to Annie a little bit. Uh, College Jeanette definitely relates (laughs) to Annie. (laughs) (laughs) From one aspect, sure. Okay, fine. Yes. So, not that I was reliving my college life for Uh Annie, but it definitely made me a little nostalgic. Sure, sure. I will admit that part. Totally understandable. A guy will listen to anything if they think it's foreplay. (laughs) That is a great line. I Uh nearly fell off my chair. And you know what? This movie preaches truth. She's right. <laughs> exactly. She's right. She's exactly. Right. So let's just go through the plot. The plot of the movie where it's young gun pitcher and old time catcher and uh, a woman has caught both their eyes and they're, they're, they're competing for her all while they're in different stages of their lives. The plot for Jeanette, you feel what about that? It was more about Annie. Mm-hmm. I felt the plot was more about Annie and her decisions and her like the race between these two guys. And you thought the sports and the the love, the romance, it how did it work together? The so I liked it because the romance wasn't as cheesy as okay. the most typical rom coms okay. where it wasn't like oh now they're happily ever after. Uh-huh. I don't know. The ending was very unclear if Annie and Chase actually right. do end up happily which, ever after, which I think is a good thing. I think yes. it, it, now now I will say and. You're about to give your plantain rating here, but this movie, I feel like, probably spoke to you more than um, uh, Raging Bull, 
Yes. More than Blindside. Mm-hmm. More than Hoosiers because there is a strong, not that Blindside didn't have it, but there is a strong female protagonist in this. As you keep saying, Annie was who you kept being drawn to. And you can argue that Susan Sarandon is the star of this movie Mm -hmm. instead of Kevin Costner. Yes. And I feel like you're more excited about this at this point of the review than you were the other three movies I just mentioned. Nailed it. All right. So, on a scale of one to five plantains, one being the most rotten, five being the ripest, what are you rating this film? I'm giving this movie, Bull Durham, not Bull Durham, nope. a four. Four, four plantains, plantains out of five. Bull Durham, Jeanette Javier gives it her seal of approval. The highest rating she has given a sports movie so far. Yes. Four plantains for Bull Durham. Now, have you given any thought to what's coming next week here with the Jeanette Javier sports movie spectacular? No, I kind of want something from left field going with the baseball. Oh, so you want another baseball one? Maybe. Well, let's go this route then. Have you seen A League of Their Own? A League of Their Own. Is that the one with Madonna? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, you've seen A League of Their Own? We can't do that then. We can't We can't do one that she's actually seen. How about, oh, The Natural. Never heard of that Robert one. Redford, The Natural. Never heard the of that The Natural it is. What's the Charlie Sheen movie where he's the pitcher? Major League. I haven't Major seen League that. 2. Major League 3. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what? Let's, let's skip... Let's skip Major League for now. Let's do the natural. We're looking for ones that maybe were up for, for awards. Right. Like, well done. Major League is Don't a whole different ballgame. Don't say that because Raging Bull won awards too. <laughs> and that one was boring uh, and I never want to see it again. You should probably, before JMP comes barging in here to confront you about your disrespect of Raging Bull, just shh, shh, keep it down. <laughs> keep it down. People can hear us. All right, so four plantains for Bull Durham next week, the natural will be the movie that's under the review of Jeanette Javier and her sports movie, Spectacular. She's Jeanette Javier. I'm Ken LaVica. We're here on ESPN 106.3. You are listening to Ken LaVica Live on ESPN 106.3. Here's Ken LaVica. Wednesday here on ESPN 106.3. We got a lot still to come. Ken LaVica, Jeanette Javier, have you until 2 o'clock. Let's go ahead and get to a man we talked to earlier this week, Pierre Garçon, the John I. Leonard product. He played under Mike McDaniel in Washington at his best season ever. With Mike McDaniel as the wide receivers coach, went on to San Francisco with McDaniel and had a lot of thoughts, a lot of insight into Mike McDaniel, new Dolphins head coach earlier this week. It is the EDS air conditioning coolest moment of the week. Time now for the coolest moment of the week. Cool. Cool, yeah. The coolest moment of the week is brought to you by EDS Air Conditioning. All right, since uh, I am just a a, a dope, I wanted to bring in an authority on this topic here. Mike McDaniel, new uh, Miami Dolphins head coach and a man who contributes regularly uh, to this show is Pierre Garcon, uh, former Washington commander, also former San Francisco 49er, Indianapolis Colt, and the pride of John I. Leonard High School. Uh, Pierre Garçon joins us here on Ken LaVica Live. Before we get to Mike McDaniel, your thoughts on the Washington Commanders is what? Oh, man. You know, I enjoy it. I like it. You know, obviously the thing that's going to make it more comfortable is getting the W's, the victories in that win column. That's that's what's going to, you know, make the name memorable and a good decision. Yeah, I'm with you. I like it. And I like that uh, that gray uniform as well. I can uh, I can get behind that a little bit. Um, uh, Mike McDaniel, okay. 
new head coach of the Miami Dolphins. He was your wide receivers coach in your finest year when you led the NFL in receptions 2013. Uh, you were in San Francisco when he was there as the running game coordinator turned offensive coordinator. I guess let's start here because I think football fans, at least a pocket of them, are having a hard time believing that a guy who looks like that can stand in front of a locker room and command respect. The first time you met Mike McDaniel, what was that like? I was cool. Um, you know, like you say, he's not the most physically statured person, <laughs> but, you know, he's a great person. He's a great, you know, communicator. He's a very, very smart guy. And he loves football, which everybody in that locker room does because, you know, we're all doing it for a reason. You know, the most reason is love. And he definitely has that love of the game and he can communicate it to the players. What kind of coach is he? What is he like when he's in football mode and you're going over game plans? And what worked so well that season where you led the NFL in receptions? What, what sort of things is he able to do that has gotten him to this point? Um, just understanding the game, communicating the game, and coming up with ideas to be successful. You know, he gets excited about, you know, designing plays to help us be successful as players, as receivers. And I saw it firsthand where, you know, he's excited about where I'm lining up, the motions that I'm going into, and then the play, um, you know, that's being called and how it's going to play out. He sees that, he envisions it, and he has that visual in his mind. And communicating it is the most important thing that he does well. And he's very good at it, but he's definitely excited about, you know, how he can attack defenses. That's, you know, that's the most, you know, appealing thing to him because he just gets, you know, it's all in his blood where he he knows this is going to work. When it it comes to (laughs) sitting in the receiver's room in your case or with him, uh, with now an entire locker room in front of him, how does he handle himself around players? Uh, how long did it take you to, to warm up a bit to, to Mike McDaniel? Uh, well, I came in, you know, I was already, you know, happy just to have a receiver coach that can talk to me. So <clears throat> the players, yeah, the players are going to, you know, obviously have doubts at first because it's, it's any position that you're in. When you're a leader, people are yeah. going to have doubts until you show your, your value and worth. And he does that by putting us in position to be successful. And you can see the vision that he has. And when you buy into that vision, you know, it's easy to follow the guy because he, he's excited. He, he wants to be successful and he sees it. So it's definitely important for, for, for the players to understand where he's coming from instead of how he looks or, you know, the fans as well. Now, I'm a huge fan of this, and we're talking with uh, Pierre Garçon here on Ken LeVick Alive, played under Mike McDaniel Washington and San Francisco. I watched uh, several videos, in fact, of him explaining the buy-in that he wants receivers to have blocking in the run game. We know in San Francisco they wanted to run and run and run and run. And uh, he said that the reason we're successful is because the wide receivers want to block. It's not glamorous, but there needs to be a buy-in for you. uh, How long did it take you to buy in in the concepts of of Shanahan and McDaniel from that standpoint? That's a great point because, he always, Mike, Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan and Mike Shanahan, all those guys believe in the receivers setting the tone for the game. You know, if the receiver's blocking for the running back to get extra 10 yards, that helps us move down the field. And we depend on the, the running back to block for us on play action play passes and, and, you know, longer developing plays so that we can get those bigger yards. So he's a big fan of, you know, 
the receivers setting the tone of the game from running plays, blocking, as well as making those big plays that you're supposed to make in those tough catches. But I I bought into it because I enjoy, you know, getting those deeper plays, which take longer time to develop so that the running backs can block. So we remind the running back, hey, on running plays, we're going to block for you because we want you to get yards. But on these longer developing plays, you need to box for us so that we can get those bigger yards. So it's like, you know, you, you put in a little bit so that you get a lot more in the long term. So we enjoy blocking for the receiver, for the running backs, and that's the chance we get to abuse the defenders. So it was a win-win situation for me. I've heard a little bit of this pushback. Well, he didn't call the plays in San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> in, in that, I mean, obviously we know it was Kyle Shanahan. Um, when it comes to a, a coach, an offensive coordinator who doesn't call the plays, how much is he involved, though, in play design, in being the architect of sequences and offensive plays? Oh, well, a lot of that goes throughout the week where a lot of the planning, hey, this is the situation that we might be in. This is the cause that we like. And ultimately on game day, you know, it's obviously up to the play caller, which majority of the time is cashing in. Ever since I've known him, he's always called the plays. Um, you know, obviously he gives, you know, other guys, you know, reasons, um, not reasons, but input to, to decide on the play. But he ultimately makes the final decision. But throughout the week, you know, those guys are all bouncing ideas back and forth with each other on different situations and scenarios, and they implement new plays early on in the week to see how it will look on game day. So on game day, obviously the the final guy makes the final decision, but throughout the week those guys all have a hand into the play calling and, you know, what, what, what situation that they're in and how they overcome it. Did you ever get the sense that Mike McDaniel could become an NFL head coach? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Because because uh, of the knowledge of the game that he has, he's uh, he's a student of the game and he communicates it very well to the players and to you know to staff. Now I know I know that you give me a hard time about my passion for <laughs> Tua. Okay, so uh, bringing in Mike McDaniel, who uh, obviously has his hands full because that is an offense that does not have a good line. There's really no semblance of a dependable running back, and of course, uh, you're trying to figure out the anomaly that is Tua. Uh, is it, how is he suited for a job like that, where maybe he doesn't necessarily have the most pieces? To work with, he's not inheriting a great offensive bunch. Yeah, he's not inheriting a great offensive bunch, but he has great receivers with Waddle and um, I don't know if um, Devontae Parker. Uh, Parker, I don't know if his contract is up or not, but having great receivers help a quarterback. Obviously, Tua. You know, my thing about Tua is his, his arm strength, which we all would want him to get stronger to throw passes longer than five yards. <laughs> <laughs> So, Thank you. But, you know, Tool, Tool will just have to learn. He'll just have to uh, follow the system that Cal, I'm not Cal, but Mike Shanahan and Mike McDaniel puts in front of him because it's it's going to be offensive friendly. It, it just has to, you know, click, which is not easy for every individual. Sometimes it might click faster for a receiver than it does for a quarterback. But it just he just has to learn the game. Well, he has to learn Mike McDaniel's game. And then, you know, obviously – you know, excel in it because he's going to have receivers that's going to help him, and those are his outlets, his safety net. Uh, Mike McDaniel, how is he when it's time to get locked in? Can he get can he get players locked in and, and ready to go? Because you see his press conferences, and he's kind of kooky, and he's mm -hmm. obviously fun. the The word nerdy has been uh, uh, used to describe his mannerisms and, and and his look. And I'm just I'm I'm just putting this stuff out there and what I've seen on social media. Uh, can he get can he get guys locked in and ready to go? 
Yeah, I think you can get guys locked in and ready to go because of the the game plan that he puts in. You know, he's he's all about you know scoring. That's that's what we're all about. You know, if we score, we have a chance to win. If we can't score, then you know things will look sideways. But I think he get guys going, especially his quarterback and especially the receivers. The receivers, that's what they live and die by. Is the receivers setting the tone for the offense or setting the tone for the day. Uh, I do want to ask you too because I know you're headed out to LA for the uh, the Super Bowl. What does Pierre Garcon do uh, during Super Bowl week? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of networking events, a lot of golf outings, a lot of um, catching up with old friends. You know, meet with the NFL, meet with NFLPA, um, Radio Rome, do a lot of media stuff, and just you know, enjoy being out there. I know LA is excited because they have a home team playing in the Super Bowl, so it's going to be a, a great, fun, festive weekend. Uh, have fun out there. And I do want to make sure that I, I, I put out there that your uh, your Speed Aid socks, your compression socks, uh, I wore them throughout my marathon training. I got my sub four yesterday, and I avoided any really lingering injuries, I think largely because of them, because my feet were usually a problem in past races I've done. So I appreciate you and, uh, and uh, your Speed Aid socks and you taking care of me. I appreciate I appreciate the testimony, man. I really, really do. And that keeps me going, man. I really appreciate it. Trying to get the word out. Yeah, no, we'll keep doing that. Pierre, thank you for telling us a bit about Mike McDaniel. Have fun in L.A., and uh, we'll catch up when you get back, okay? Man, I really appreciate it a lot. At the EDS Air Conditioning, coolest moment of the week. Hey, it's getting warm again. We had the snap of a finger cold spell, and I told you, I told you uh, about a week and a half ago, this is your chance to get a hold of EDS because EDS is yes. And while it was cool, while you didn't have to use the air conditioning, the rare moment in the course of any calendar year to get your AC checked, if it needed to be replaced, get that done. Maintenance, get that done. And so now here we are. You're needing to use your AC again. It's going to get laborious. It is now going to be full go through this this entire year through December. So now the pressure is on, and you've got to get that AC worked out. You do not want to be staying in a hotel. That is no way to live your life when your AC goes out. I know because I've been there, and that's why EDS is where you have to go to. EDS is, yes, EDS air conditioning. They're a train comfort specialist, hard to stop a train. What does that mean, Ken? That means they're using the best equipment. That means they're using the longest-lasting equipment. They've been doing it since 2006. They're family-owned and operated. They know the area. They know what you need. They handle your plumbing needs as well. They're versatile and and they're respectful and they're courteous. Why? Because they're trying to work their schedule around yours. Name me another AC company that does that. Trying to make sure you're not held hostage. That's EDS Air Conditioning. EDS is yes. EDS Air Conditioning. EDSAirConditioning.com. Get that appointment set. EDSAirConditioning.com. She's Jeanette Javier. I'm Ken LaVica. More after this. We're live on ESPN 106.3. You are listening to Ken LaVica Live on ESPN 106.3. Here's Ken Lavica. All right, chalk this up to me being wrong again. Uh, Ari Myroff on Twitter tweets, Odell Beckham Jr. on Joe Burrow. Quote, I think if you look up the word cool in the dictionary, there should just be a picture of him. He's going to be one of the greats. I really believe that. End quote. 
So I'm the, the same dope that last week said, oh, I don't know if Joe Burrow is really cool. I think he's like nerdy, awkward, cool. No, when Odell Beckham is saying that he's cool, I suppose he's cool. I could not have gotten that more wrong. Ken Levick alive Wednesday here on ESPN 106.3. A uh, couple of minutes with Theodore, CWP TV News Channel 5, WFLX Fox 29. Uh, wanted to bring him in here for something specifically. Still on the Banowitz Friday Night Lights, especially here. Joe Burrow, speaking of. He was talking with media earlier this week in L.A. in advance of the Super Bowl, and he was asked what advice he could give young people who want to aspire to have the success that he had. Tips. It's a pretty common question. I mean, you being in the TV realm, I'm sure you've asked that a million times to to pros in the the years you've been in the business. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'll get into the question later, but of course, that's a common question for sure. <laughs> I love, I love having the TV, <laughs> the TV component here because he's going to break this down. This was, this was Joe Burrow's response to the question. You're working hard, but you're really not. You know, focus on getting better. Focus on, you know, not don't don't have a workout and go and post it on Instagram the next day and then go and sit on your butt for four days and everyone thinks you're working hard, but you're really not. You know, work in silence. Don't don't show everybody what you're doing. You know, let your let your your game on Friday nights and Saturday nights and Sunday nights show all the hard work that you put in. Don't worry about you know, all that social media stuff. Yeah, and you know what the immediate reaction to something like that is? Big time Super Bowl quarterback saying, "Stay humble, <laughs> stay humble, put your nose to the grindstone, put your head down and work. Your results will speak for themselves." And this Theo throughout social media heralded. Mm. I mean, as you'd expect, that that is the key to success. Don't have to flaunt it. Just go work hard. And it's been beloved. That, that, that quote right there has been embraced. Yeah. Joe Burrow is at the stance right now that everybody is listening to his every word in these press conferences, looking for that next thing they can tweet out that could make yeah. them go viral because yeah. they tweeted out the Joe Burrow quote. Uh-huh. So I get why it blew up. He didn't say anything profound. No, 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 there, there wasn't. And that's not something I haven't heard a million times. Yeah. Like, you know what college assistant football coaches, like, they love to tweet. Some of them made a brand off of tweeting as opposed to coaching. Yeah. Like, that was the equivalent of the inspiring quote that all of them <laughs> put out every single day. Stay humble. Work hard. That's what Joe Burrow did. That was the response to the question. Yeah. It's the stay low, to, stay low and build. That's what some, some people say that about like relationships and too. Like you don't don't flaunt it yet. Don't put it uh-huh. all over social media. Stay low and build, man. Like whatever. I, that's it's it's not a hot. T- I mean, Stone. What do you? I mean, you're a, you're a quarterback, right? Like he's li- he lived in that world. Yeah, recruited high school, under recruited. I might add at South Fork. I mean, you were. Friday yeah. Night Lights was under recruited for his his talent level. Your size is what kept you from getting a, a division like a, a power five Absolutely. or even mid major offer. Absolutely. I was told by plenty of those coaches I can't because of that. But I I think you guys heard me bring this point up last week about, you know, professional football players or guys in the spotlight. Like, once you get a certain reputation or once you're thought of and spoken of in sentences a certain way, you're allowed to control everybody else who's paying attention. Like, once you're a guy who has, you show up your freshman year of college and you have the stature and you have the, the speed and stuff to play at the next level and everyone says, this kid can play in the NFL. Well, now what your, what your goal is to do is to show up every day for two years, be the first one in, show up at five in the morning, and then leave last. And then once, and then after that, you're spoken of as the guys, you know, he's the first one in, last one out. Hardest worker. Yeah. Hardest worker. And I know those kids who do that properly and then are partying on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and showing up hungover on Monday. So it's like, 
it, it's tough to, you know, where do we believe these guys and what they're saying? Joe Burrow could have said anything in that spot to your guys' yeah. point, and we would have been like, oh, my goodness. Like, right. wow. Well, let me, let, let's play it one more time, and I'm going to tell you the part where actually I have a little bit of a problem with what Joe Burrow said. You're working hard, but you're really not, you know, focus on getting better, focus on, you know, not, don't, don't have a workout and go and post it on Instagram the next day and then go and sit on your butt for four days and everyone thinks you're working hard, but you're really not, you know, work in silence. That. Don't, don't show everybody what you're doing. You know, let your, let your, your game on Friday nights and Saturday nights and Sunday nights. There. So. Yeah. Don't. Work in silence. Work in silence, says Joe Burrow. I would be all for that if it wasn't for how many times I have seen in Palm Beach County and the Treasure Coast high school football players, high school football coaches desperately, I mean desperately, try to contact college recruiters, desperately try to get a hold of college football coaches, and they're ignored. Guys who have talent. Guys who deserve a chance because they have it. And because the guy isn't big enough or the guy isn't fast enough, the coach just doesn't get back to him. Ignores emails. Ignores phone calls. Ignores the huddle clip that shows up in the DMs. So Joe Burrow, it's easy for him whose dad was an assistant at the Power Five level the entire time that he was a child the guy who had unlimited exposure, the guy who had endless offers, the guy who was at Ohio State before he went to LSU. And I, I don't have a problem with Joe Burrow. I'm just saying it's easy for him to sit up there and say that stuff now when he had an in already. Yeah. There's a lot of kids that don't have that in that are really good and could play Power 5 at least Division one football and don't get the chance because they either a don't come from the traditional high school football power. Their coach doesn't have the relationships that are needed to make connections with college recruiters or they're trying to contact college coaches that are just interested in the four star or five star bottom line. So work in silence. Sorry. Do, do kids sometimes put up workout videos where it's like, yeah, I know that kid's out drinking later that night like Stone's experienced. Yeah, for sure. But you know what? Sometimes at this level, you have to be your own advocate. Because sometimes you're your only advocate. Yep. So working in silence, that ain't it. That's not cutting it when you're trying to get out of Bell Glade. Yeah. Or you're trying to get out of Del Rey. You're trying to make something of yourself. You know you have the football talent, but you don't go to a powerhouse. So you're being overlooked. Sometimes social media is the way you get looked at. Definitely. Going viral is the way you get noticed. So Joe Burrow, I think he's a little off on the whole thing. Yeah, and I think here's the sad truth about, you know, social media and technology and, and you know, college recruiting nowadays. It's about quality of content. We definitely know that mm -hmm. in, the, in, you know, in this realm of our work. But, like, it's about quality. So if you're putting out workout videos that are, and I know this, you know, from firsthand experience, like talking to my college coaches, like if somebody puts out good content and it's properly made and they're at the right tournament in front of the right coaches and other coaches see that, well, then it's okay for them to, you know, invest in that. But if a kid's putting out a video in a crappy junkyard and the grass is really tall and stuff, like you're automatically crossed off the list. So like, yeah, you got to put your stuff out there, but it has to be correct. It has to follow suit 
for these big schools to kind of, you know, want to invest. Like, I know he's training correctly with the right people doing the right things. It's hard. It's a very fine line. And a lot of kids don't have, like I said, the technology and, you know, the people around them yeah. to help them. So the kids down south in Miami, all those cameras show up at these seven-on-seven -seven tournaments, and they get the videos made for them. And then they're able to post them, and they get retweeted and have thousands of retweets. But those videos were made for them. Kids in Stewart, Florida, kids in the 772 aren't able to make that content and, you know, promote themselves. I just, I look at what if, uh, and I've known several of these kids, what if the kid doesn't have the transportation or the money to show up at an unofficial visit at uh, one of those, those big recruiting nights that they have to a seven-on-seven? Seven. You can't work in silence. If you want people to notice you, you come from a small town, can't work in silence. You come from nothing. You can't travel to these places. You don't have transportation. you got to find a way to use social media to put yourself out there. So, again, Joe Burrow, I know it's wise words from a Super Bowl quarterback now, but his situation, definitely not the same situation for a lot of high school football players that have aspirations to play in college. It's not. He, he definitely was speaking from a platform of privilege there, mm -hmm. but I don't take all of what he said to detriment because I do think the one thing he did say was, don't post a video and then not be really working out. Don't work out sure. one day and True. then let True. that linger for a whole and, week and, and then that, don't work out. Yes, yeah, and, that, and that's the right thing. I mean, yeah, he's yeah. right. He's right about that. But the work in silence, that's, that's, that's where I have a problem with that because there are so many kids who don't have the privilege to be able to just have offers thrown at them. Yeah, you have to give yourself some exposure, especially in 2022. And social media is an easy way to do that. And I think you're being, it, it's almost you're being a detriment to yourself if you're not putting yourself out there. Yeah. To be maybe yeah. looked at by somebody. Can I say something? Can I, can yeah, I yeah, attack yeah, yeah. the question now? Yeah. Because the question wasn't even really meant to get a real answer. Like, whenever somebody... Let's, let's do a quick exercise. Okay. Ken, uh, what advice would you give a person in sports broadcasting right now? <laughs> uh, you should get a really good internship and you should lay down as many tracks or get in front of a camera, even if it's your phone, as much as possible to start getting reps. You can do it yourself. You don't have to wait for anybody else. Right. So what you said there is correct. It's not profound. And it also is not very helpful to anybody. No, not, I don't want to say that. Not very helpful. Oh, it's not helpful. Specifically because yeah. that's a very broad, general question. Right. Whereas advice questions should be tailored specifically to a situation. Mm, hey, so nice. if I said, hey, Ken, very nice. Mm -hmm. Ken, what advice would you give to a guy who's been covering a, a college team on local sports radio for three or four years and is running out of fresh new ideas to come up with on his daily talk show? Ken, what can you tell a guy like that? Always find a way to relate a topic to a broad audience, and that way you can segment it, get more particular. If you feel like you're running dry of ideas, open it up to a wider audience. Don't aim it specifically at one type of answer or person. Make sure that all can respond. That's going to help you create topics. Right, and now that person in that specific situation uses that direct advice mm -hmm. to address their specific problem. Advice questions that are general don't help. Hey, Stone, what do you tell a young quarterback? Put in the work. And it, I mean, I don't know. That's exactly. Tough. That's very that, tough. That's that's a I, I guess, I, guess that, I, guess so I just said put in the work. Lazy. That's your point. And exactly. that's exactly. And that's why Joe Burrow, I don't want to get on Joe Burrow too much for his answer because somebody asked him a lazy question that was very general. Whereas if they said, hey, Joe, you, you've been working behind an offensive line that has allowed a lot of pressures. You've been sacked a lot. 
what what do you what kind of advice do you give to quarterbacks who maybe are working in a similar situation to you to where you can go out there and succeed in spite of maybe poor old line play? Now, maybe that's a bad question because he's not going to down his old line on Super Bowl week, but he can give real legitimate advice about that specific scenario that can actually help guys and it might actually be profound. Which yeah. there are plenty of high school quarterbacks who have crappy O-lines exactly. in the so, JV varsity yeah. realm of you know, I, the sport. I suppose even the question, if it was, hey, uh, social media has become such a big part of high school football recruiting, what advice would you give to those who have to rely on it as they try and get themselves recruited by colleges. And yeah. maybe that that answer comes off a little differently to me because he's not poo-pooing the thought of social media, but he's saying, hey, maybe I take it as do it the right way. Yeah, yeah. Don't make it phony. Yeah, I, I think that's... And, and honestly, the way you put it there, it's not surprising that it's a lazy question because I don't know if you've ever covered a Super Bowl, but that is the... I mean, that is the bastion of of laziness because everybody's there to get on social media. Mm-hmm. Everyone in media is there to get attention. It's why Spanish language TV stations are sending out big bosomed uh, reporters <laughs> who are going to say something sweet in Spanish and attempt to hit on the players yeah. because it's about attention. Yeah, yeah. I that's that's a great point. That is a great point. It's awesome stuff. Yeah, and I think that's probably why it's like, so we can attack Joe Burrow for his answer, but again, he was given a a question where it's like, just give some general advice off the rip right now, and I'm sitting here answering questions about the Super Bowl, and he's like, well, one thing I could think of is I hate when guys post videos and aren't really working out, and he kind of went, but it wasn't, again, a specific. So I think the question also led to that answer, which was kind of dopey. That is a a good point. Where'd you learn that? TV, baby. TV. That's nice. right. Local TV, baby. That's why he's the king. That is why he <laughs> the is prince. the king. And that is why there is no final, no no, no better local sports TV coverage in Palm Beach County and the Treasure Coast than WPTV News Channel 5, WFLX Fox 29. Book that. I'll fight it. I'll stand by it. Uh, I, I do want to make sure, though, that, that, that I mean, high school, I, I know that there's uh, there are parents of high school football players. You were a big-time high school football player here, Stone. Theo, you cover a ton of high school football players on the TV side. Like, be your own advocate. Be your own advocate. Stone, I still got a raw, raw deal because he was completely undervalued based on his talent level because of his size, and that's garbage. As we've seen, you don't have to be the biggest guy to go succeed playing college football. And this is something, Stone, I know you learned and had to learn it in real time. You've got to advocate for yourself because colleges aren't just automatically going to say, hey, we'll give this kid a shot. Uh uh-uh. uh, you got to have a team around you, and if you don't have a team, you've got to be your own advocate. You got to, you've got to use social media. Not do it dumb. Don't put stupid stuff on there. But don't work in silence if you feel like you're not getting the proper attention and your future's at, uh, up for grabs. So you said it. You need a team, not a Brian Flores, you know, l- lawyer team. That's <laughs> yeah, going to tell you them. the wrong. Yeah, case. don't don't use Brian Flores's <laughs> team. And I'm not actually just using that to be funny because a lot of these kids, their teams, you know, whether it's their uncle or their coaches, and they don't have they don't have the experience. They tell you the wrong thing time and time again. You see these kids who have four Conference USA offers, and then they'll get a Big 12 offer, and they'll commit to the Big 12 school. A year or two will go by, and they can't get in the lineup in that Big 12 school, and you'll find them in the Conference USA. And that is because somebody told them to take the biggest offer, to take, you know, go to the biggest school with the most people, and, and, and you know, they have the bigger education, whatever it is. It's all comes from inexperience. So your team needs to be 
family or coaches you've been tied to mm -hmm. for a long, long time, and you need to know ahead of time that they have connections to certain guys where it is realistic I go there. I hung on to connections to the, that coaches had to other coaches in the FCS world. I, at one point, it had to click with me, whether it was early senior year, going into my senior year, hey, your level is probably the FCS. You've been told by enough coaches now that you won't play in the FBS for this reason, this reason, and that reason. So it's like, okay, well, who do I have connections with that have connections to FCS guys? I exhausted those resources, yeah. and it eventually worked out. The junior college I went to, the guy was directly tied into some FCS schools. Boom, I ended up getting Boom, door three. Open. Yeah. Door wide open, ended yeah. up getting three, chose the one I liked. So as I executed what I was told to do by people that I actually trusted, instead of people just giving information out there based off of what they think they've seen in the mm -hmm. past or what they think they know. So your family, your team is the most important thing right now. Mm -hmm. add, a, add a teammate, add a family member who's really good at social media. If your sister's really good at editing yeah. stuff and, and, and good with a camera, that needs to be your social media person, the one who makes the videos properly, like I said, to get you put out there. That's good stuff and valuable because, again, Stone lived it. So, uh, I, I didn't come close to being a big-time college athlete. Stone actually uh, lived the whole damn thing and did it fairly recently as well. Hey, uh, Theo. What would you give advice? What advice would you give to someone who wants to be a TV reporter? <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you just you just work hard, you get your reps in, and you take you take a good, couple good internships. Oh, perfect. And, and you know, and that's why specifically when I do some of these things and speak to schools or classes, and I get that question, I always correct people on it, and I say, hey, no, don't ask me that. What's specific to your situation? Yeah. Because I'm not trying to give general broad advice that nobody can make. Because that's a waste of everybody's time. Yeah. I'm like, give me your situation. Mm -hmm. what, what do you have going on here for you now, and how can I actually directly help you? Don't let me sit here and give you this blanket, yep. fluffy answer that everybody will say, oh, my God, and then they'll tweet it out. Theo says you need to work hard and listen to your teachers. It's like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, so did everybody uh, else the rest of your life. Right, right, exactly. It, I, it, this is such an awesome topic because you don't hear it all the time. You're stuck on the easy side like that we're talking about. No one's on the other side, the dark side that we're talking about right now. I absolutely love it. I love it. People yeah. need to hear it. Yeah. I mean, work hard. Like, work hard. That doesn't, that doesn't tell anyone anything. Work hard. That's not inspiring. Like, yeah. how does your circumstance affect where you could possibly go and what your path could possibly be? So, uh, again, I, I don't agree with the work in silence with Joe Burrow because I understand the reality of the situation because I've run into it so many times covering high school sports here in Palm Beach County and the Treasure Coast. But Theo is also right. You got a garbage question yeah. to react to as well. I guess the theme is this. It's listen time with Ken Levick Alive, okay? <laughs> if you want to know about something in any field that you might want to pursue, that you have interest in, ask direct questions. Don't ask broad questions. And try and gain knowledge in an intricate and direct way as opposed to a blanket statement. Because blanket statements... And blanket advice doesn't do a damn bit of good for you nope. in any walk of life, period. Theodore, CWP TV News Channel 5, WFLX, uh, Fox 29. I'll learn how to speak it. What, what advice would you give to someone who needs to <laughs> learn how to say WFLX, Fox 29? Well, maybe you need to tune in more and hear us say it. That's, that's, that's the advice. Get my ratings up. <laughs> WFLX, Fox 29. Get Theo's ratings up. I'm Ken Levick. I'm live on ESPN 106.3. You are listening to Ken LaVica Live on ESPN 106.3. Here's Ken LaVica. Ken LaVica Live.
Take a Live presented by the FAU MBA Sport Management Program, fau.edu slash MBA Sport. 22 years of doing it, grooming the sports executives of tomorrow, the FAU MBA Sport Management Program, fau.edu slash MBA Sport. I wanted to replay something from yesterday's show that I think is an important discussion, largely because Theo Dorsey's a part of it. But uh, the, the, the biggest news in the NFL over the last week and a half has been Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL. And we are starting to learn a very, very unfortunate lesson about what happens when lawyers decide to become your spokesperson and co-op your movement because Brian Flores went from something admirable, I thought, to something that is quickly disintegrating and completely draining his potential and maybe his entire football career. And yesterday, uh, there was a statement after the Houston Texans hired Lovey Smith as head coach that I think puts Brian Flores' his future in a severe jeopardy, and it didn't have to be this way. Here's our discussion on Brian Flores from yesterday here on Ken Levick Alive. I'm trying to decide... If Brian Flores is purposely now just trying to torpedo his career. And I do think your perspective is important on this because I have not been able to get your perspective on yeah. this Brian Flores lawsuit against the NFL accusing um, the, the Giants and Broncos especially of, uh, of skirting the Rooney rule, of uh, major problems with diversity hiring in the NFL, which there are. There are. There absolutely are. Uh, and then also the Dolphins, Stephen Ross, paying him money, $100,000 per game to lose in mm -hmm. 2019. So Brian Flores, before he wrapped up this coaching cycle, the NFL wrapped up this coaching cycle, decided to bring forth this lawsuit. Certainly risky, right, with him still in the mix, especially for the Texans job. Uh, that was that was definitely risky, and I I applaud Brian Flores and his courage and his bravery to bring this to the forefront. It is a bold move that certainly could jeopardize his career. The Texans decided not to go the route of Brian Flores. They have hired instead Lovey Smith, who last year was on David Cauley's staff as the defensive coordinator. Lovey Smith, glorious beard and all, is now the new Texans head coach. Brian Flores and his team of lawyers uh. released the following statement yesterday after the hiring of Lovey was made official. Quote, Mr. Flores is happy to hear that the Texans have hired a black head coach, Lovey Smith, as Mr. Flores' goal in bringing his case is to provide real opportunities for black and minority candidates to be considered for coaching and executive positions within the NFL. However... We would be remiss not to mention that Mr. Flores was one of three finalists for the Texans head coach position. And after a great interview and mutual interest, it is obvious that the only reason Mr. Flores was not selected was his decision to stand up against racial inequality across the NFL. End quote. Mm. I have been all for Brian Flores in this crusade that he is on. I agree with him, with what he's standing for. But Brian Flores has made a hell of a lot of assumptions throughout his media tour and in the contents of that lawsuit, assuming that the Giants had already hired Brian Dable, assuming that John Elway was hungover or drunk at the time that they met, and now assuming that the only reason that, again, fellow black man, Lovey Smith got hired is because Brian Flores had filed the lawsuit. Brian Flores undercutting the same thing that he's been fighting for with this lawsuit 
to me, Theo, is a horrendous look on Brian Flores' part. It is, for one, the reason why two things I would diagnose with the situation. Number one is he needs more people, as in he needs other fellow head coaches, because this this is a real problem in the NFL. Yeah. We don't have to go through the numbers. Like any, anybody that knows anything about what the NFL's hiring practices have been and firing practices with black head coaches, it's a problem, mm-hmm. right? I think it will help him a lot when he gets other black coaches or assistants to step up with him in this class action suit. But also, he may have picked the wrong lawyers. Like, there's no way that if Brian Flores had lawyers or a team around him, he needs a better team around him because if they had any... I don't want to say he shouldn't have hired two white lawyers to fight his anti-discrimination case against the NFL, but if those lawyers had any any bit of a better perspective about how that looks and to call out another black coach who has been successful and mm-hmm. even led a team to a, to a, a Super, Super Bowl, Bowl. Yeah. and say the only reason Brian Flores didn't get the job over the guy who also was an inside hire is because he was filing a suit. It was one of the reasons, but you can't say it's the only reason right. because now you're doing the very thing that people do to undercut and undermine black coaches in the NFL uh-huh. by saying, oh, they only got this because of this. They only do well in that offense because he's under Andy Reid or he's under a great play caller. Like, now you're being more part of the problem than you are exactly. the solution. It, it, to me, it, it undercuts the message. It undercuts the fight. That was stupid. It's stupid. It's disrespectful. And is an element of, of that statement probably correct? Yeah, I'm sure the Texans backed away a little bit because Brian Flores is suing the entire NFL. It was wrong, though. The statement said the only reason. The only reason. You right. can't say that definitively. That's the key word. Exactly. There is no way to prove that. It is not definitive. Yeah. And Brian Flores, though he had two winning seasons with the Dolphins, did he go to the playoffs? No. Was Lovey Smith on the staff last year? Is there continuity there? Yes. Did Lovey Smith go to a Super Bowl? Yes. With Rex Grossman as with his quarterback. With Rex Grossman. Exactly. So do I think personally Brian Flores is a better NFL coach than Lovey Smith at this point in 2022? Yeah, I do. Yeah, but to say that the only reason that Brian Flores is not the head coach of the Houston Texans and Lovey Smith is, Brian Flores and his lawyers are torpedoing what's left of Brian Flores' opportunity to be a coach in the NFL. And honestly, not just a head coach, but an assistant in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. It comes off as petty. It comes off as sour grapes. It comes off as spiteful. It comes off as hateful. And honestly, it is completely hypocritical to the message in the fight that Brian Flores is trying to carry out. It is. It diminishes all of the things he said last week. You're either for minority hires or you're not. Yeah. And this comes off as the latter when Brian Flores is attacking one of his own in this fight. And that's the problem. That, the reason why I say, again, I think he needs a better team. I don't think Brian Flores would have drafted that up himself. I don't think that was a Brian. I would like to at least assume, as we're doing assumptions here, that Brian Flores didn't want to go about it that way. But like we've seen on the interviews where his lawyers have stepped in with him and sat down with him and done interviews like the CBS one, yeah. they seem to be doing a lot of controlling of the message and a lot of interjecting and stealing the headline or the show. So I think that was more of a his team put a statement out thing. And I think if he had smarter, better lawyers with better perspective, maybe guys who uh, you know shared a similar background that he did, 
uh, or maybe guys who at least understand why you can't make statements like that in the midst of a discrimination lawsuit like that, then it wouldn't have came out. But that was a literal, I mean, it feels like they're purposely torpedoing yeah. this case. Like, did the NFL pay his lawyers off to right. say something stupid like yeah, that? Yeah, it, it is stupid. Like, it's just stupid. Did and anybody re, like, did anybody look at it and say, hey, maybe we shouldn't put this out? Yeah. It was stupid. I, I don't understand. Because it's it's a direct shot at Lovey Smith. Yeah. Why? And you know what this is going to do? This is going to eliminate, it, just like now, he'll never be hired by the Giants for anything. He'll never be hired by the Broncos for anything. The fact that this statement's put out, that that's another team crossed off the list, an organization that he will never work for. And, and I, I do, do I think Brian Flores, there was cause to fire him with the Dolphins? Yeah, and I've talked about it at length on this show. I, 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 in Friday Night Lights, Stone has heard me say, like, there were a number of reasons why I think Brian Flores, he got fired, and you know what? Willing to accept it. That's fine. Um, I want Brian Flores to work again. He can be a head coach. He can be effective. I want him to carry on this fight while also being employed in the NFL. This, this statement about Lovey Smith, it's just mind-numbingly dumb. I, I don't understand why a shot would be taken at Lovey Smith. And these are the highest price lawyers, though, that you're going to find. Anybody who's anyone in the legal industry says that that Brian Flores is lawyers. These are the gods. Yeah. These guys get stuff done. Me as the common fan, you as a fan, I look at this, though. You look at this, and I don't get it. Maybe it's because we're not we're not into speaking legalese and we don't understand the strategy, but I, I, for the life of me, Theo, cannot understand what they're trying to accomplish with that. I tried to rack my brain yesterday. Well, maybe, maybe this is an angle they could take. Maybe this is a stance they could take by sending this out. Maybe they're trying to prove this. I couldn't find one thing where this is beneficial to Brian Flores in any way, shape, or form. Any way, shape, or form. And maybe I'm an idiot and maybe I need a lawyer to explain it to me, but this seems detrimental to the future of Brian Flores. Yeah, I don't see it either. And like you said, maybe there's a big brain lawyer side of it, whereas they're trying to prove something in court. They have to use that verbiage. But in the court of public opinion, this definitely hurts them. And it gives people the the opportunity to open the door to say maybe everything Brian Flores is doing mm-hmm. is wrong. And I think maybe he's just bitter. And, and you already know whenever, especially when a, a black person steps up to say something in America like, hey, maybe it's a little racist out here. People look for anything to attack that person's character or their case so that they can just ignore the fact that racism does exist in yeah. America still in 2022. And that was a stupid way to open the door to that. If this was Josh McCown, I'd say, all yeah, right, yeah. I get the statement. But I don't, I for the life of me, like I, I cannot think of one singular reason why this would be good for Brian Flores or why anybody would see this and say, damn right, I'm behind you, Brian. If anything, it's, it's divisive. It's divisive, and it really spoils the messaging of the last five days or so. Brian Flores, right now at this point, do you feel like he's to blame for his predicament? Is Brian Flores and his lawyers to blame right now for his predicament where he is not a head coach in the NFL? 888-760-3776, 888-760-3776, and you can tweet at us at KLV1063. Also, whose decision was it in the middle of this coaching cycle still to present this loss? Isn't this something that could have waited a week and a half? Uh, it, 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 if the lawyers advised him, hey, do it now, right after you didn't get the Giants job, while well, he's still up for a couple of coaching jobs, including the Texans, 
That's some smooth brain stuff right there, too. I would say it's at least more honorable that he did it before he got a job because then you can say he's falling on his sword for the greater cause, but you undermine all of that when you heckle a black coach that just got a job over you. I also feel like you don't have to fall on your sword. You could wait, be employed, and then file the lawsuit, still bring attention to it, and not have to fall on a sword. I want Brian Flores to have a job. Yeah. I don't want him to have to sacrifice his living. I agree with him when he says he has the gift of coaching. He's, he's a good coach. He's, he's going to be a good coach. gifted coaching. He is. He is. And he is an unbelievable defensive mind. He, at the very least, should be one of the highest paid defensive coordinators in all of football, if not a head coach again. Yeah. And this is the stuff. This statement yesterday, taking a shot at Lovey Smith, that I fear is going to keep him from getting back in the league at all, ever again. And I think he's getting bad advice. It just seems to me that, and again, I'm no legal expert, but it feels like he's getting bad advice. Brian Flores and his lawyers, are they to blame for Flores' current predicament? 888-760-3776. Vinny is in West Palm. What's up, Vin? Uh, I'm not a legal mind, so let's start with that. <laughs> but um, I will tell you, you know, he made a, that, this is another major mistake, and, and I'll give you another great thing that I, I listen. He, he talks about his integrity, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the integrity of the game, integrity of the game. But then he comes out and says that Stephen Ross uh, was willing to pay him for losses. Where, where any legal team is going to say, okay, why didn't you present that while you were on the team? You know, why didn't you make that known back then? If you're if you're so big about your integrity, now we're going to call into question your integrity because. You waited till you were fired, and then you were salty about it and, and did that. Now, another black coach who's got all, a great resume yeah. gets a job, and you go on and attack him, they're going li- to sit here, and it's going to make a really, really bad impression immediately. Yeah. Take for a- another point is, unless they have something written or, or, or uh, audio taped, this is a very hard case to prove, the, the, the stuff with the Giants. Belichick could say, oh, I would talk to somebody I was missing. First of all, Belichick's not going to give up anything, even on stand. You know he's not. Right. I mean, Spygate, all that other stuff. He's never, He's going to keep his mouth shut as much as he possibly can. So now you got to have something. If he doesn't have something concrete, this is going to come back on Brian Flores even worse than he thinks now. There's multiple different things that he's doing that are bad steps. Uh, the fact that he waited to, to out Stephen Ross, and if he doesn't have direct proof of it, it's going to look really bad when he's calling into uh, account his integrity. Uh, these are some really, really bad steps. He should have done it a different way. Um, he should have called out Stephen Ross while he hired him. When I was still working for the Dolphins and said, listen, this is what's going on. I just want to be up in front and I have the information. Uh, otherwise, don't present it if you can't prove it. And, and the last thing I'll say is this is going to turn, if it continues down this road, really bad for him, and he's not going to be an NFL coach. He's not. No. But the rest of the owners are going to get together, and they're going to be like, listen, we're not going to allow this guy coming in because he's going to – what's he going to say next? He's going to be calling into question anything, and we don't know what he's – you know, what's true and what's not true. I don't want him near our, our, our uh, uh, organization at all. He, everything he does and touches, it's going to be something negative. He's even attacking coaches that have nothing to do with this. We don't, you know, let's let this problem go away. There's other coaches we could take care of, and, and other coaches that deserve it. 
And yes, he's he's well qualified, but sometimes you just don't hire those people that have you know they cause problems. Sure. So uh, if this keeps going the way it is, I, I mean, he's going to be a coach at FIU. If he doesn't, <laughs> you know, fix yeah. the situation. And, and so. that is the the dregs of uh, of coaching <laughs> society. Thank you, Vin. Uh, I it's it's one thing to call out executives and to call out ownership. Okay, it's been done plenty, and it's rightful. It's another thing to call out someone in the same fraternity who has fought the same battles you have before you. Before a guy that low-key paved the way yeah. for your route. Like, he's a defensive-minded black coach who got an opportunity and took a team to a Super Bowl. It just, it leaves such a terrible impression. I, I for the life of me, can't understand the strategy of that. Now, one more thing before we break. I, I and Keeley tried to make this point, and and I and and I I know that that Vin just said it. Why didn't he call it out when it was happening? If Stephen Ross was offering him money, if he's talking about integrity, I get it. Because listen, you fought this hard and waited this long for a job. I'm not going to let someone else's actions, someone else's lack of integrity, yeah. take away the opportunity that I have earned. I'm not doing that. I can be the, and I'm definitely not. But. If I think I'm, I'm the most integrity-filled person, I'm still not going to let someone else dictate whether or not I should stay in a position that I earned. Yeah, that's a disingenuous take by people who are, again, anybody looks for any way to chop down at an issue when they don't want to believe what the root cause is. Brian, Brian Flores was naming symptoms. The root cause of this is the fact that NFL owners don't think black people are that smart. That's what it is. I mean, we, we don't have to, I know we got a break soon, so we don't have to get into all of that. But the root cause of it is, for whatever reasons, NFL owners don't think black guys are that smart. That's why black guys weren't allowed to play quarterback for so long, and that's why the fight to be head coaches in the NFL has been a long and hard battle. So for Brian Flores and this whole, oh, well, why didn't he call out Stephen Ross back when he got offered 100K? You could say that maybe if he purposely did lose those games, but he showed his integrity by leading those teams to wins yeah. and not accepting, or at least we don't know, but we assume he's not accepted the 100K per loss. So yeah. that's a stupid take to say, hey, oh, why did you call it out on the spot? Well, why would you? You're, you're, this is your first opportunity as a head coach. Yeah. Why are you going to call right. out your first boss in the midst right. of it? Yeah, if Brian Flores like, calls out his, his billionaire white owner, yeah. you think Brian Flores is going to get another job in the no. NFL? Stupid. Right. But instead, Brian Flores, he gets fired, and fine, he, he brings it up. After a winning season. After a winning season, and I'm sure he's upset, but this ain't it. Calling out Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith, that was bad. This ain't it. I mean, by name. By name. Call out the organization. Yeah. But they, but, but, but call out Lovey Smith the, by name. The only reason Lovey Smith got a job was because I was suing the NFL. That's stupid. I mean, I, I can't think of anything more detrimental to, to, to that lawsuit and to, to Brian Flores' cause and his future than that last night. I, I thought that it was, it was irony. I, I, I thought that what I was reading wasn't real. I thought it was like the onion. Yeah. But it was real. That was a real statement from Brian Flores' lawyers. Oof, I'd be having a long talk with them today. Long talk with them because yeah. he's, they're paying, uh, I'm sure he's paying them a lot more money than he thought he was going to be getting in production with stuff like that. that I could have wrote that out. Yeah, If you wanted to take the case, yeah, hire yeah. me. He could have, yeah, he could have <laughs> called me and said, hey, Ken, uh, for $3 million, you want to completely wreck my career? Yeah. Like, All right. Type it up. Five minutes done. Matt from yesterday here on Ken Levick Alive on ESPN 106.3. You are listening to Ken Levick Alive on ESPN 106.3. Here's Ken Levick. Presented by the FAU MBA Sport Management Program, fau.edu slash MBA Sport. Before we uh, wrap up, 
here uh, and and uh, send you into Barton Hahn. I wanted to just have everybody listen to what Pierre Garcon told us earlier this week on Ken Levick Alive. Pierre uh, had his best season in the NFL, led the league in catches in 2013 with Washington. His wide receivers coach was Mike McDaniel, then played to end his career in San Francisco. Of course, McDaniel was there first as running game coordinator, then offensive coordinator. But it's no secret that Mike McDaniel likes to run the ball and likes to do so uh, out of different formations that end up being the same play, likes to stretch defenses and really wants to set up the pass game through the run. It's one of his trademarks, one of his trademarks because he comes through that Shanahan mindset. For Dolphins fans who are trying to get a feel for Mike McDaniel, what he's all about, what you might see from this Dolphins offense, how he can help Tua, it's going to happen on the ground. And I thought that Pierre gave some really strong insight into what wide receivers are expected to do in a Shanahan slash McDaniel offense. Just take a listen to what Pierre Garçon said about wide receivers, their role, and what the purpose is uh, and, and why the running game is so important to make sure that an offense is successful. Just a little glimpse into what we're going to see with a Mike McDaniel Dolphins offense. This was from Monday on Ken Levick Alive. The buy-in that he wants receivers to have blocking in the run game. Uh, how long did it take you to buy in in the concepts of, of Shanahan and McDaniel from that standpoint? Mike McDaniel and Cole, Kyle Shanahan and Mike Shanahan, all those guys believe in the receivers setting the tone for the game. You know, if the receiver's blocking for the running back to get extra 10 yards, that helps us move down the field. And we depend on the, the running back to block for us on play-action play passes and, and, you know, longer developing plays so that we can get those bigger yards. So he's a big fan of the receivers setting the tone of the game from running plays, blocking, as well as making those big plays that you're supposed to make in those tough catches. But I bought into it because I enjoy, you know, getting those deeper plays, which take longer time to develop so that the running backs can block. So we remind the running back, hey, on running plays, we're going to block for you because we want you to get yards. But on these longer developing plays, you need to box for us so that we can get those bigger yards. You put in a little bit so that you get a lot more in the long term. And that's the chance we get to abuse the defenders. So it was a win-win situation for me. That's perfect. I mean, I, I love the insight from someone who lived it, who played under Mike McDaniel, and it gives us an understanding of maybe, just maybe, what we're going to start to see. And I'm sure the process will be slow, but what the ultimate end game is going to be when Mike McDaniel has the Dolphins offense executing how he wants it to at its full capacity. Either way, I'm excited. I am so all in. This is so unique. Mike McDaniel is so unique, and I just thought Pierre did a really good job of of, of really painting a picture about uh, what each role in the offense is going to be, but why wide receivers are so important to the running game, a running game that was literally non-existent for the Dolphins uh, this past season, the year before, one of the worst in the league in rushing first downs while the 49ers were one of the best. There's a reason why, because of dedication to that aspect of the offense. And I think it's going to be extremely helpful if the offensive line can improve just a bit. Mike McDaniel is going to be able to find a way to help Tua an awful lot, and it's going to happen because they're going to be able to churn out yardage on the ground. That'll do it for us here on Ken Levick Alive. We'll be back tomorrow at noon. I'll be coming to you from 
Bowling Green, Kentucky. Get ready for that. What weird hotel am I going to be doing the show from? What weird part of a hotel am I going to be doing the show from? We'll find out together. I'm Ken Lavica. We've been here on ESPN 106.3. Bye-bye.